Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air in overcast, cool, suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Hey, it's fall. You know, in case you need to know, it is Thursday, October 22nd, 2020. I'm still alive. How about you? It's also the Thursday after the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, if you're counting. And yes, the church calendar can be a mouthful. And speaking of mouthfuls, I am joined, as always, by the greatest droid in the galaxy, R2-D2, and my trusty water bottle, and I will take a swig while R2 says hi. Oh boy, here we go. We got uh, mostly a comics show on tap tonight. The main topic will be the first arc of Greg Pak's Darth Vader run from 2020, which I mentioned in a pull list segment a few weeks ago. And yes, I'll dive into the pull list segment for tonight. And tonight I'm going to be mentioning Vader number six. And that's the first issue of this second arc, I do believe. And it continues quite seamlessly from the story I'm going to tell tonight. Um, the first arc really goes into Anakin, as we'll see. This second arc looks to go into, at least we can, the way it's set up, looks to go into the fires, literal and otherwise, that made Vader. And I really recommend continuing to read this 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 arc, this uh, comic book. Fantastic has risen to the heights, just six issues in, risen to the heights of Kieran Gillen's 2015 run and Charles Soule's 2017 run. If you haven't been reading this book, there will be a few spoilers tonight. I'm going to go into the deeper themes. I'm going to mention, spoil some pretty emotional moments from this book. And so, uh, you know, if you're okay with that, listen on. If not, you know the drill. Turn this off. Go to your local comic store. Go to Comixology, wherever you get your comics, and read this this uh, this comic run. It is incredibly beautiful, incredibly wonderful already, and I'm going to hopefully articulate a little bit why later on tonight. also want to mention Captain America number 24 and uh, Tony C. Coates' take on Captain America. It's been going on for a while. Number 24, it has Red Skull on the cover. So what more can you say, right? Um, it has been overall, this book, comic book overall, has been a spectacular reflection on what it means to be white, what it means to be male, what it means to be a white male in America right now. Uh, it's incredible, been incredibly timely throughout its run. Every single issue has some nugget that is really wonderful and really just gets to the heart of uh, what Tiny C. Coates is trying to say as a black man in America to white American, you know, Captain America, Steve Rogers. He's the, the hero. And here is Tanisi Coates' sort of outside view, but he isn't trying to do a takedown or a beatdown of it. He's just trying to say, reflect, ask, look at yourself. And even in this, in this number twenty-four, you know, there's a brief comment applying, implying at least doesn't outright ask it, but implying you know is Trump and, and Trump support an aberration. Or is it tapping into something that is real about America? Uh, does America have a heart of darkness in it? And in all of this, of course, it's it's couched in terms of 
the actual story that Tennessee Coates is telling as a bit of an allegory. Um, think of the big whoopsie that was, uh, was it Secret Empire or not Secret Empire? The, the arc before where Hydra basically takes over the U.S. and Marvel in its infinite wisdom was like, yeah, we're going to promote that. That's cool. And then Trump happens and then uh, they really recovered from that wonderfully in, in the moment in Endgame where uh, you, have, you have Steve leaning over in the elevator and saying, Hail Hydra. That was wonderful. Uh, as a very tongue-in-cheek, tongue firmly through-cheek, but also giving Tiny C. Coates the keys to Steve Rogers' car <laughs> and telling a story where he has to rely on women and women of color and the goodness of America that is still there as well. And... He has to say, what does it mean when he's on the sidelines and then has to jump into action? Um, this last, this latest issue really setting up a lot. Of, maybe Sharon Carter is definitely going to you know, take a stronger role. They, they, of course, end up poking up in this episode, in this issue. But that, you know, uh, it's setting up her her place in not just Steve's story, but in the story that Tiny C. Coates is telling. So that's the pull list for tonight. Uh, I had some thoughts maybe on Mandalorian and the Jedi. I might go into that in another episode, especially since Mandalorian is coming up oh, just over a week tonight. Uh, yeah, a week tomorrow of Mandalorian Season 2. Maybe I will have things to talk about there. It may jump into my lane. But for now, I'm going to have some water, some R2, and uh, going to go into the main topic. Yeah, so he's excited. I'm excited. It's yes, talking about Darth Vader 2020, numbers 1 to 5. Uh, the first arc called Dark Heart of the Sith. Although, for reasons as you will see, I'm calling this episode Japor Snippet. Uh, the story is by Greg Pak. Art by Rafael Yenko. And covers, including tonight's show art from issue 4. And if you check it out, my new podcast graphic from issue 5. Wonderful art by Inhyuk Lee. Uh, tonight we have this great great image of Darth Vader embracing Padme in a very warm hug. <laughs> That's wonderful. And then uh, the show art coming as close to, or not the show art, sorry, the, the overall podcast image I want. Coming close to, I hopefully inspired by, the Panto Krator image. Um, that is from issue 5 of this arc. So, uh Great shout-outs there. They're doing wonderful work, all all hands on deck with this. So the flagship comics are going into the events after Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Soul, Charles Soule's ongoing comic, that looks at Luke's response to the I Am Your Father reveal. And so Luke is exploring, and I've mentioned this before, Luke exploring who his father was and, and more about the Jedi during uh, you know the late Republic. Greg Pak's run uh, is all about Vader reeling. I mean, reeling from Luke's rejection. Right? Consumed by it. Luke is able to go off in the, the story. Uh, I believe number six of, of the main comic. That's starting to go into more of the rebellion. And uh, you know, Tarkin's protege. Vader's still fixated on um, Luke rejecting him. And uh, reject the... You know, after offering to join him, 
he never knew about Luke's birth. And he wants answers. And even though Narcidius and, and uh, Ma, uh, Masameda have summoned him back to report, he still goes off on his own little journey there. Because when a Sith Lord wants answers, he gets answers. Uh, but it isn't the ones he expects. And that's the this is the wonderful thing about this arc, is the answers turn out to actually be within him. Yes, he's looking for the who and the how of Luke, but he starts to uncover the why of Luke's existence. And he, he re- discovers and remembers some of his own. Because as his biological father, Luke is a part of him in a way that he had forced himself, tried to forget, thought he killed Anakin. Right. And what this arc goes into a little bit is he's claiming to be the murderer of Padme and, and Anakin. Yes, of course I killed Anakin. As we saw, you know, in the end of Charles Soule's run, or the end of Kieran Gillen's run. Yeah. And I think maybe both of them, he says, oh, I've killed Anakin. He's dead on the plains of Mustafar. And we're going to explore a bit more of that in the second arc. But, uh, you know, th- this first arc, he has to go back. He has to look at uh, who Luke is because he's been awoken. Right, you know, talk about the Force awakens. Anakin awakens. Um, Darth Vader, as I've said before, is the ultimately failed attempt to forget Anakin Skywalker. And uh, here is evidence of Anakin's existence right in his face, you know, on uh, on Bespin on Cloud City, and you know, this arc then becomes a literal trip down memory lane. It shows us Vader's first steps toward this failure of forgetting, failure to forget Anakin. Or we could call it Anakin's triumph of remembering. That great return of the Jedi that is accomplished on the second Death Star when he destroys Darth Sidious and, I still maintain this, brings balance to the Force. Now why is this important? Well, yes, it's critical to keep telling stories these days about found family, about friends, about younger folks being free of the constraints of uh, the, the unthinking constraints and, and um, just what's the word, you know, involuntary patterns of thought that they grew up with and, and discovering what may be true and deeper. And that's essential to the Star Wars story as well, of course. Um, especially since so many people don't connect with their biological family very much. We have some generational fragmentation going on. But there's still something so primordial, evolutionary, fundamental to humanity's mythopoeic meaning that can be expressed in stories about biological family. Uh, I think in a positive way, for example, my brother is a different person now that he has passed his genetic mark on to my niece. No, she exists, and therefore my brother is a different person. <laughs> We're all different now because she's just that wonderful and has that effect on everybody, but I digress. Uh, in a darker way, going to the Skywalkers, you know, this dysfunctional, fragmented family that is the Skywalker lineage, there's still, it really expresses something deep about how we uh, 
carry on our ourselves and our legacy. Think about Yoda's great line: "We are what they rise, be, ride, what they grow beyond." Right. It's one of the biggest reasons why this story, from Anakin and Padme to Luke and Leia, to Ben Solo and yes to Rey, has become one of the defining myths of our time. It's really tapped into the this importance of yes, Ray isn't biologically connected, but she transcends her own biology in a way. But she's even willing to take on the Skywalker name, I think in part because of her connection to Ben Solo. Right? In part. But also her connection to Luke and to Leia. Which I wish they explore more, maybe in the holiday special, her connection to Anakin and Padme. Of course Padme is also a Neberi. <laughs> That's a whole other other thing. She's part of the Skywalker family too, and um, and we'll see in a minute how important that is. So I'll have a swig of water, some R two. Yes, R two knows the story very very well. Let's go back to the comic then. So to start exploring the how of Luke's existence, how was he born? How was uh, he hidden from? from his master and from himself. Vader has to retrace the steps of Luke's life. And of course, all those steps that keep falling back, they go all the way back to Padme. Right? Padme. I was born at a very young age. My mother was there. That joke, right? Uh, at least I make that joke. I don't know about you. But the thing is, even in retracing Luke's life, he can't help but retrace his own. He finds himself... In the very same literal rooms that both Luke and Anakin inhabited. So he steps into these rooms. Literal actual spaces, physical spaces. And it triggers a memory. Which triggers another memory, a layer below. And that triggers another one, a layer below that. And the great example of this, the preeminent example of this, is in the first issue. And here I'm going to spoil a great moment here. But... uh, so Vader has come to the Lars homestead on Tatooine to chase, ostensibly to chase down a lead in the records. He, he's exploring the homestead and he ends up in that room we see in A New Hope where Luke is playing with the T-16, that little model T-16 and 3PO is taking a bath. I'll thank the maker, all that. Uh, Luke complaining about not being on the bright center of the galaxy that course we see in the prequels in the first trilogy called Coruscant um he's on Tatooine anyway of course and that's the thing about that room that's the same room that Padme consoles Anakin after killing the Tuscans and uh goes into that room Vader touches the very same table that he was tinkering on decades before and the memory and it's expressed in the color palette changes to this red clearly a flashback and memory triggers him uh, of Padme consoling him saying to be angry is to be human but that triggers the memory of Yoda warning him in the Jedi Temple three years later anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering which we see at the end of the arc uh, Darth Sidious repeats Yoda in this issue in this moment is the counterweight to Darth Sidious. In a different way that at the end of the uh, the Charles Soule run, 
um, Obi-Wan is the father figure. Well, here Yoda is the stern, distant, going to drop some wisdom from on high that has no uh, no apparent relevance to, to his life, to Anakin's life. But it's the conventional wisdom. Uh, and in a sense, it's true. Right? Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering, of course. The, the advice, you must unlearn everything you fear to lose. Let go. Uh, that doesn't go out so well for, for Anakin. But uh, anyway, that triggers that memory of, of him in the Jedi Temple, of the two dialoguing in the Jedi Temple in Revenge of the Sith, which then triggers the memory of his promise to Padme on Mustafar. You know, I will overthrow Darth Sidious and we can rule together as husband and wife. Right. And of course, she recoils from that. I don't know you. You're breaking my heart. Just like Luke will decades later. And then he sees the shaft in Cloud City. But it isn't Luke falling at first. That happens later. It's it's Padme. It's falling. He's pushed her away. Like he's pushed Luke away. It's Padme, but it's a pregnant Padme with Luke and Leia in her womb. Right. Have some water in our two, and I'll get to what this all means. <laughs> I know, you want me to hurry up, right, R2? See, there's a primordial identity through family bonds. And one of the amazing things is Greg Pak reminds us, and, and Rafael Yanko remind us, which film do we see these forged in? And yes, so yes. The Padme that's pregnant is from Revenge of the Sith, of course. But one of the most interesting insights of this arc is that it shows uh, you which films this first family bond was formed in. Uh, and it shows ju- So it shows just how critical the events of Attack of the Clones are to Anakin slash Vader's story. Right? Attack of the Clones has one of the is one of the most pivotal and decisive films of the Skywalker saga. So stop and think about your reaction to that. I just want you to you know, take a moment here. If you think that's ridiculous, it's such a terrible film. How could that be important? Or if you were like me, it's like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that, and I'll go why in a minute. If you if you're maybe a wiser, younger person than me, probably think, yeah, yeah, I get that. Of course, that makes sense. But for the most part, we slept on this film. We dismissed it as just a cheesy love story that doesn't make sense. Yes, Obi-Wan's detective mystery, that's interesting. Um, But when you stop and think, okay, what happens in Attack of the Clones? Yes, it's where Anakin first really opens himself up to darkness. And that's the memories we see, the references to the Lars homestead and uh, the little droid that Vader's uh, that's helping Vader out there mentions Shmi Skywalker. She was destroyed. She was killed by these Tusken Raiders who were then massacred. That, of course, triggers a memory, memory for Vader, right? where he really opens himself up to darkness and trauma and grief. He's just lost 
his most intimate treasured memory, treasured connection, which he had been losing for the last 10 years because he went to the Jedi Temple, and that's what the Jedi did. They take you away when you're maybe too young to form those kinds of bonds. That's still problematic. I can think about that a little more. Anyway, so this arc doesn't just go to, but because this arc doesn't just go to the Lars homestead. It goes also to the lakeside retreat where Anakin and Padme's sparks really start to fly. It goes to that field with the shacks where they, they frolicked. Sure. It's cheesy moments, but you know, there's something more to it. It goes, Vader for a moment even recalls the balcony where they were married. You see, this arc doesn't just go to places where Anakin faced trauma and darkness. It's also the places where Anakin really opened himself up to mutual intimacy. Not just mother-son or master Padawan, but partners, romantic sexual partners. Mutual intimacy, reciprocal intimacy doesn't fully play out that way but in the clone wars it does and they do a better job there of showing the mutuality of <laughs> anakin really yeah he you know, he shows up as a bit of a hero there it's where he for but attack of the clones it's where he first opens himself up to that very connection that can produce biological life you know the heterosexual union we can go into the complex uh ideas about that with gender issues and not being a complementarian. I'm just saying Anakin happened to be uh, in a heterosexual relationship. He happened to be married to a woman and uh, they bore, ch bore children. Right? That's a story that's still, I'm not trying to make a, a political statement other than, you know, I, I want to be. I want to be a cabinet here. I want to be egalitarian. The story we have at hand with the Skywalkers just happens to be the one that explores uh, the 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 importance of biological life. We are all born. <laughs> right? That's what I mean by the mythopoeic origins and identity of human life. Right? We're all born. Uh, there is that connection. And. With Anakin, I mean, this, you know, George Lucas, he, he goes into how this can be problematic, right? Um, how heteronormativity even can be problematic. He, Anakin, yes, twisted that bond into a great darkness, a great possessiveness. But initially, and this is, I think, what this arc is trying to get at, and I think what the connections between Padme and Luke are trying to get at here. Well, you know, the, the, the poles in Anakin's life with, between Padme and Luke. Uh, that first intimate bond sprung from a great light, from the simple and generous boy who became a great hero and fell in love with Padme and gave birth or, and, and bore, bore two children. You see, the why of Luke Skywalker... The main reason for his existence is that the light will prevail. That Anakin will triumph in remembering himself and his destiny. And so the main arc of this, the main story of this arc itself 
It concludes with an old recording from that maternity clinic on Polis Massa, with Padme's dying words. There's good in him, I know. There's still. This has been a bit of a shorter episode, a bit more of a scripted episode. I hope that worked well. I apologize for the noise. Above. Usually I'm able to record this in more quiet, but hopefully I was able to get the point across still. This has been episode 64 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. Um, you can, if you like it, you can give me a follow on Twitter at NUG485. Give me a, another follow on Instagram at MNUG1138. Um, yeah, and again, you know, deeper issues, deeper things to reflect on here, but uh, hopefully things to chew on. Getting at the heart of what this podcast, getting back to my origins, right? One of the main whole questions is, who is Anakin Skywalker? So yes, this has been episode 64 for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you always. <laughs>